town you never heard of. Hey everybody, welcome to the Common Folk Podcast with Ben, Morgan, and Andy. Welcome back to Common Folk. The podcast. For the people, by the people. That's right, that's right. Howdy. You got it. We got more people here today. Yes, we do. Bringing them back. Got a couple of cool uh, conversations coming up. Before we get into that, uh, wanted to encourage folks to get on the platforms and do the reviews, do mm-hmm. the do the five stars, do all the things. Pump it up. We've got a uh, a new one that came in, and this is from the uh, the handle GTO Joe X three. Oh, now it just so happens that I actually know who this guy. I is. was just thinking. Okay, wait, is that the person's? fake name do we know who this is you know it just so happens just like you researched it so as far as common folk go so this guy you know this i mean this is exactly what we're trying to do we're trying to connect with common folks so this guy i don't know all of his background Mm -hmm. but what i do know today is that he is the assistant chief of a small town fire department volunteer fire department um you know does a bunch of stuff in in his community sure um, has kids, grandkids, does all the things, has all the, the life that all the common folk have, mm-hmm. you know, so they, uh, drive around, listen to the podcast and he did a review and it says great podcast that talks about common topics from common folk perspective, great Midwest viewpoints. Hmm. Um, and I always think it's kind of funny that we get like that Midwest tag. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we do. Right. That's I what mean, we, we are. are. That's all yeah. I have to give. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. Well, we moved outside of the Midwest, but. But I also think that it's funny that the Midwest mentality is that common sense kind of mm. central, mm-hmm. you know, type yeah. mentality. Right. So uh, what's the mentality of somebody else that doesn't live in the Midwest? Well, I mean, I think people have all kinds of mentalities, but I think in general, it's kind of like, you know, where um, where companies have, uh, uh, what's the, the phone thing? Like they call around, like uh, they're selling oh, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Telemarketers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telemarketers, yeah. And they yep. always want to use like Midwest. Yes. Yep. Right? Because yeah. that's like, that's the baseline. Right. Yeah, because we don't have a, an, accent an accent one way or the other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like we're from nowhere because it's kind of true. Right, right, <laughs> and that's and that's what we are. So, uh, Joe is getting a uh, podcast T-shirt. So, be like Joe. Mm. Be like Joe. Get on the apps, Apple, mm-hmm. the Apple app. You can do a review. Yeah, uh, you can also do the stars, and on the Spotify deal, you can do the stars. I think that's about it. I don't know if any any of the other ones have come out with it, but. That helps us a lot. Helps us get some yeah. traction. Um, so, like I said, be like Joe. Get a free T-shirt. Do that. Email us. And uh, can we throw it's on. can we throw a YouTube in there? Our podcast. We're putting it on 100%. YouTube now. Yes. Yep. And just leave a comment. Give us a thumbs up or thumbs down. Oh yeah, because you can do that on. Yeah, of course yep. you can do that on yep. YouTube. Yep. Yeah. Just say Andy, shut up, and give me a thumbs down, and we'll send you a T-shirt. So get there on go. there and do that. Uh, so thank you, Joe. And uh, moving on this week, so we've got. Coming up here shortly, Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. What do you got going on over there? Well, I got... Uh, oh, it looked like he was struggling. Our friends over at Nebraska <laughs> Brewing Company. No, I, I learned this a long time ago. If, oh. you, if you press it like this with your thumb... Oh, uh, you it re- loosens it? Well, you release some of the pressure there, so then it doesn't explode and, you know, you got foam going everywhere. I just thought you looked like a lady that couldn't open it that got her nails done. No, I was, I was being very meticulous oh, and I was okay, opening okay. the beer the correct way. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Good, good yeah. work. Dean's got a good idea over here. He's saying shotgun. Shotgun. shotgun just, stab it. just stab the side. It opens right up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shoot. It's five o'clock somewhere. Maybe after this podcast, we could shotgun a few of these. Sounds I mean, it's me. like we talked about earlier. You got some pumpkin. got some veggies. Yep. That's how you celebrate. Getting all your, getting all your um, goods yeah. in one can. Boy, they they redid the the pyramid, right? The food uh, food pyramid. <laughs> yeah. I wonder where I, I think, wonder where pumpkin beer falls on that. Now. Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, well, I think it's got its place. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> our to. potato chips on there or something too. So, we're so good. Uh, if if folks rewind, if you're new to the podcast or depending on what you've listened to, if you go back to February 16th of this year mm-hmm. is when we we dropped uh, the last podcast with Dean um, and had some really interesting conversations. And at the time we were like, man, we got to have you back. Yeah. Like there's some there's yep. so much here that we can get into. And even after today, I'm not going to be satisfied. Like I know there's going to be. <laughs> well, OK, so we got Dean Schistler back. OK. And yeah, that last one, we just scratched the surface of like. 
A tiny bit. So let's start here. Let's start today. Uh, We mentioned how Veterans Day is right around the corner, and I don't think there's anybody better in the tri-state area or maybe across the nation that could talk to us about this for better, sure. better than Dean. You better sure. not let us down with <laughs> that, that introduction. A pretty lofty intro to live up to. That's a big one. That's a big one. There's probably better people in a 10-mile circle from here. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've done some work into it. I mean, my my career is obviously with the museums there in Nebraska City and mm-hmm. mostly local history, but um, my personal research uh, for my master's thesis was on Colonel Hayward, who's a local Nebraska City um, native son, I guess, born and raised, hmm. who was the commander of the Harlem Hellfighters in World War One. So World War One is sort of my topic of interest, I guess, because um, I like choosing really complicated, <laughs> hard, hard to uh, understand things. Uh, and there are not many more... Um, parts of military history that are more difficult to understand than World War One. So when you said we're going to touch, we touched on a bunch of little bits of topics last time. Uh, yeah, we're not going to cover <laughs> even all that <laughs> one, one one thousandth of World War One in this podcast. But right, right. Uh, but we can talk about definitely uh, what's coming up on Saturday. Uh, and, you know, it's, here in the U.S., we refer to it as Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone knows, you know, Veterans Day is November 11th. Why? Yeah. Well, it's, that, is that that a, was my question earlier. Like, why like, why what? is that? A, it's yeah, just not, sure. an ar- it's not an arbitrary date. It was specifically chosen, uh, and it the origin is World War One. And I'm not okay. sure that everyone knows that. I'm sure a lot of people do. Probably most of our uh, you know, military service members you know, understand that. Yeah, or might have an idea. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I and I, you know, I try to follow all the things. I'm the son of a veteran, Air Force veteran, you know, and mm-hmm. my uncle was in the Navy. All those things, and, and I didn't I mean, know. I didn't know that. Our last podcast said he likes to honor his dead. So, yeah, yeah, I do. But I didn't know World <laughs> oh, War. Yeah. I didn't know Veterans Day. Just the reason why it was picked for November 11th, and it was due to World War One. Right. So, to in, in case folks haven't listened to the previous one and, and don't really know who Dean is, like, can we get like a quick synopsis of what you what you do and, and where you're at before we dig into that? Right. Uh, well, yeah, I'm Dean Schisler. I am the director of Nebraska City Museum Association, uh, which is in Nebraska City, Nebraska. I've uh, mm. got population of 7,000 people and we have nine museums and those nine museums are my job to keep running. So, so are those, are I, those museums all kind of within Nebraska city area? There are eight in Nebraska city and one in Syracuse. And I is it like, of. that's not normal, right? Like, no, <laughs> not yeah. by far. <laughs> uh, I think our, our per capita, uh, number I believe is the most, in the nation. Yeah. So really? per, per population. See, I told you it was so, the best in the nation. Right, I told you. Right, that's what, right, right. That's what we used to say, like the God, the number that we used to use kind of as a joke because it doesn't mean anything. But uh, London is known for its museums. There's a lot. There's like okay. over 400 in London. Mm-hmm. Considering the population of London, if they wanted to have the same museums per capita that we do, they would need 12,000 museums in greater London. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that's not possible. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's... It's a lot, but we're proud of it. It's like over over a hundred, or you know, just under a hundred people per museum. That's but I crazy. think so. is anyone else wondering like why are there so many there? Is just, it just because that's where a lot of things started or ended? Or I th- yeah, I mean, it's a combination of so many years of history. Okay, uh, on so many different topics and just a community that's. Has a citizenry it. that's yes. very dedicated to preserving that history. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, we you know with those eight museums in town, there's really not any overlap as far as what they wow. cover. So there's, um, you know, everything Civil War Museum, uh, Craig Windmill Museum is like a manufacturer, it's a factory. Uh, Lewis and Clark uh, Fire Museum, <clears throat> excuse me, Wildwood Victorian Mansion. Uh, the old Freighters Museum, it's like Oregon Trail and Westward Expansion Era, Arbor Lodge. Like, I mean, they're they're all over the place. So hmm. kind of cover all those topics. But going back to, you know, 1804 when Lewis and Clark came through. So we have 
219 yes. years or whatever of history, then okay, yeah, it kind okay. of comes from that. But. Very cool. And all those towns around there, Brownville, Peru, they're really old mm-hmm. townships for, for mm-hmm. Nebraska. Mm-hmm. You know, they're some of the oldest in the state. Yeah, absolutely. And some of our museums are up there for the oldest buildings in the state. Our old Freighters Museum uh, is built, we think, because we were just talking about this not too long ago. <laughs> we're not entirely sure. It, within a year, 1858. Wow. Uh, which I saw something um, what was that? on the news the other day. And they were talking about a house up in Omaha. And I think it was one of the houses on the Fort Crook campus. And they said, oh, this is one of the oldest structures in Nebraska. It was built 1879. It's like, uh-huh. Well, <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. If only you knew. You know, have yeah, to check you on that. <laughs> entire generation between when that was built and when, you know, yeah. some of ours were built. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that makes my job interesting, too, because trying to maintain and do upkeep and whatever yeah. on a 175-year-old building right. is a lot. And uh, so, yeah. Fingers crossed. We're going to have some renovations, right, coming our way. You know, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, okay. we kind of started the ball rolling on that because this is the, the 175th year of that building. Um, and actually next year would be the 175th anniversary of Russell Majors and Waddell, who was a freighting firm that ran their branch office out of that building. So um, we need a lot of work done on that structure. Uh, and we've got a bunch of, um, you know, structural improvements to do, roof, siding, paint, trim replacement. Um, and then we're also going to do some new exhibits, some new interactives, um, build in archive storage room inside because the historical society collection of photos and documents and maps and everything is housed in that museum. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to do some major like landscaping renovations outside, uh, which if we're able to pull it off, it's going to look pretty cool. So we want to make it look like we grabbed that house out of 1858 and just dropped it in 2023. Oh, that would so be sweet. We're yeah. talking like big limestone, uh, rough retaining walls all the way around the corner lot and then split rail fence and like native grasses and flower mm-hmm. beds and stuff. So We'll put all uh, that in the links because yeah. <laughs> I think people are going to want to visit and yeah. check it out. And if they can There's got to be pictures, yeah. right, like up of what the design would be. Uh, we're like getting or, there. Okay. Not yet. Close. So, okay. That's the, well, we're doing three phases. So phase oh, phase yeah. one is structural, okay. which is like the, the roof and paint and stuff, and yeah. make, making sure it continues to stand, uh, which right now it's it needs some help to keep standing. Um, and then phase two is all the inside stuff. And then phase three, you know, once we get all the major construction done, then we can go back and plant you know, flower beds and do landscaping and stuff. Okay. So yeah. it's a three-year, three-phase project so hopefully starting this spring fingers nice. crossed so yeah there's some history down there man that like people just don't realize and we didn't realize and mm-hmm. we talked about this on the last podcast uh, back in february um you know i mean you could go down there and spend a few days oh yeah. and see so much cool stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know go stay at the lodge go bounce around from museum to museum whatever like that'd be so what we've always said is it can't be done <clears throat> realistically in a day yeah. Because museums are, when they're open, um, some of them are four hours a day, some are six or eight. Okay. If you consider an hour to two hours mm-hmm. to do a tour mm-hmm. of each of them, it would be impossible for two people to do yeah. all eight of them even in a day. So Very cool. Yeah. So let's dig into Veterans Day. So you touched on it a little bit earlier. Like I think what we start with, and we talked about this before we started recording, that a lot of us, even us here, doesn't don't realize where did this come from. Like there was there was a specific date and numbers and all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let, let's dig into that. Where do you want to start with it? Well, I mean, um, yeah, just the, just the basics, really. I mean, Veterans Day as a holiday uh, is 1954 is when that comes about. The name okay. was changed uh, from Armistice Day. To Veterans Day, Armistice, 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 yeah. which means yeah, means uh, a ceasefire or truce between um, two warring nations. Okay, um, ceasefire and and truce are probably better words for it, right? Because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of to unpack underneath there too. Mm-hmm. Because really, it wasn't a uh, a peace treaty. It's it was the end of World War One. Uh, it was November 11th, 1918, uh, mm-hmm. specifically the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. 
Um, so the fighting continued all the way up until exactly 11 a.m. And then everything just fell silent. And so we were talking like continent-wide across Europe. Uh, you've had nothing but some of the most brutal, um, unimaginable warfare that this world has ever seen for four years. And all of a sudden it just stops. <laughs> that would be a very, yeah. a very cool thing to, to witness and something to celebrate. And it was something to celebrate, uh, so much so that, you know, we're not the only country that celebrates it. I mean, yeah. every, every country involved has a version of veterans day or armistice day mm. or in the UK it's remembrance day. Um, in the UK and Australia. Um, some even have specific holidays to honor uh, certain units. I know Australia and New Zealand has Anzac Day, which is the um, Australian New Zealand Army Corps. Okay. Specifically celebrating them. I want to say that's in March, but I'm okay. not sure. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's what it was. And so the can we real quick because I get I got confused on like yeah. some some years and I don't know if you guys did or not but in the beginning there you were, you said something about 1954. That's yeah. So it in 1918 when the armistice happens uh, after the Treaty of Versailles is signed the following year, which is the official end of World War One, the U.S. Uh, government created Armistice Day to okay. celebrate that and to celebrate uh, veterans of the war. In 1954, it was changed from Armistice Day to Veterans gotcha. Day okay. oh. to also Updated. include, like, because you know, we had World War II and Korea okay. in that time. So they kind of were bringing more into yeah. it. Okay. And so now you have the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the three main holidays. So you have, like, Veterans Day uh, honors all current living U.S. veterans. Memorial Day is mm -hmm. all U.S. service members who have died in military service. Mm -hmm. And Armed Forces Day is all current active duty U.S. military oh members. Oh, my gosh. Whether I'm they've not, been okay. yeah. in combat or not. Right. Is right. The deal? Okay. Yep. So if you, want to, if you want to be really picky and pedantic about it, you know, if you're active serving, you know, and someone yep. says, Happy Veterans Day, you can be like, well... You know, right, not to right. me, but I, but yes, right. Happy Veterans Day. Right. So, uh, huh. but I don't think anybody cares. It's more of just a celebration. Yeah. Right. Uh, no yes. one's that picky. Uh, but yeah, that's well, when it was changed. Was that 1954 okay. date? Well, so it's not just being picky; it's being enlightened, like knowing. Like I feel yeah. like these are things yeah. that we should know. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And it's it's you know if you want to get technical, yeah, it's that's how it's broken down. Is like certain groups are honored specifically. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's actually. I think there's Women's Veterans Day and Women's Memorial Day as well. Really? That is specifically female military members. So, mm -hmm. but I don't know when those were enacted. I want to say it was much later. Well, I yeah. think those holidays are still in there. So. I think, like you said, Andy, I mean, it's important to understand the differences. Mm -hmm. Not not that people need to be, like, super picky and, like, oh, you're not using that right or right, whatever, right, you know, because right. that does happen. Yeah. Um, but just to have that understanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and there's a really good chance that when we were in elementary school or whatever, that we were told this stuff. Sure. <laughs> like, like yeah. it might've been like in passing yeah, or whatever true. in yep. history class. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, you know, you're bombed with so much stuff that we don't, we don't remember. Do these you think they specifics. say that today? What do you mean? Do you think um, teachers talk about this today? Oh, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's covered at some point. I don't know I hope when. So. But yeah, I mean, the proper response to that is, you know, somebody says, you know, happy Veterans Day and your armed service member is, thank you. Right. That's, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's the response. Yeah. Or if it's someone you know, maybe thank you. And also, did you know this? Every, everyone's just, like defaults yeah. anymore to if, if there's a, a holiday that has something to do with the military, it doesn't matter what it is. They don't, they may or may not understand it. Yeah, yeah. They see military folks and they're like, thank you for your service. Yes. Your service. And, I've totally done that. And folks mean that genuinely. Mm -hmm. But that's what that's what we're talking about here. Like we're, yeah. we're trying to help you understand here's here's what this is actually about. Mm -hmm. Well, and when you get further away from the why, like why we're celebrating Veterans Day compared to Memorial Day, then Memorial Day to Armed Forces Day. When you don't understand the why, then can you really partake in it or understand what you're doing? You, you know, like, it doesn't mean as much if you don't understand the why. 
And so, yeah. like, I'm already like, I, I love where this conversation is going because mm-hmm. now I I got a better grasp of the why. Mm-hmm. And and the why is important too because the, you know, we have sort of a history in this country of warfare. We've mm-hmm. been doing it for a while. Yeah, <laughs> we have quite a few. I think you know we've been a country for like 250 years almost, and we've been at war for like 230 of them. Sure. So, um, but there's only one war that had such an impact as far as holiday and celebration and commemoration of that day. Why? And it's because of how intense it was and how large scale it was. I mean, literally world war is the best explanation. I mean, it was literally every possible country that could contribute soldiers and material and ordinance to that war did. Hmm. And, um, I mean, the, the total loss of life is off the charts. I mean, you can say numbers, but it's not even... Like what would you, be a ballpark number? Well, the, the general estimate for military deaths is 9 million. Um, oh, Civilian my gosh. deaths included... Okay. Got to be way higher. Uh, it's somewhere between like 30 to 70 million. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. And then you add on like... 1919 into 1920 is the Spanish flu epidemic. And so if you take like those three years, it's worldwide 150 to 200 million. I mean, it's a huge amount. Um, I pulled up. Well, and it was a really gruesome war too because you still had people on horseback riding those horses into machine guns in some parts of the world. I mean, it was (laughs) nasty. Because you had so many different things coming together from different cultures. Like you said, it was a worldwide affair. Well, and it was something, too, that the soldiers going into it and the nations going into it, the militaries, were wholly unprepared Mm. for exactly that. Like you you had, like, the French army wearing uniforms from the Franco-Prussian War, riding into battle on horses with sabers. Um and that was in you know August 1914 when the war starts, the Battle of the Frontiers. Um, it very quickly became, <laughs> you know, necessary that it's like okay, we can't wear these uniforms anymore. There's no helmets. There's no you know protection. There's right. no nothing. And the Battle of the Frontiers opened a lot of eyes because you have an amount of soldiers on either side that is unheard of in the history of humanity at that point, uh, Germany mobilized 1.4 million. France mobilized 1.3. Like the largest army to date before that was Napoleon's army. And that was 700,000. God, it started like that too. And yeah. And so, and most armies up until then are not anywhere near that big. Like the greatest armies in history they're nowhere near that big and they can't withstand the loss of life that happened. I mean, the battle of the frontiers, I want to say one of the first days of that battle, France lost 27,000 men in a day. Um, you know, Napoleon famously said like you, I can't be defeated. I lose 30,000 men a month as a matter of course. That's what he said. And he Hmm. could because he had a people's army, had a conscripted army and it was huge. But how long can you maintain losing Jeez. that many people? Right. Because um, at the beginning, <clears throat> excuse me, at the beginning, the Battle of the Frontiers in 1914, they're using Napoleonic War era cannons. They're 12 pound balls, 10 pound balls, and about the size of a, a magic eight ball, mm-hmm. you know, a little mm-hmm. like a little toy, uh, being fired out of cannons that weigh 2,000 pounds. Uh, six months later, nine months later, somewhere in there, Germany rolls out the 420 millimeter Big Bertha siege cannon, which fires a shell that weighs more than that Napoleonic war era cannon and fires it one and a half kilometers, two kilometers, Mm. about a mile. Um, You can't. Seems unfair. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's unreal. And that's not the only, the only guns they had. I mean, 420 was the largest, but there's, you know, 10, 15 other sizes of artillery. And so, and Germany was very good at artillery. So when you're firing guns that large, they're also firing all these other smaller cannons. And, you know, say 120, 175, 305, 260, whatever they may be. 
and they have a pattern they're firing them in, and it's called drumming fire, which sounds like an open roll on a snare drum. You know, that like, not like a tight roll, but an open roll. And it's because they could fire them in a certain pattern where when the shells are going off, it literally sounds like a drum roll for an hour, a day, weeks, like at a time and just keep going. And it's, yeah, it's unreal. Just think of the accuracy too, compared to that shell, compared to a ball that's loosely molded that's 10 pounds. Well, and and those shells too would... You know, not hit like the like that ball would just hit and mm. blow up, you know, or just hit and to hit if it wasn't an explosive shell. Um, you know, those siege cannon shells were meant for siege purposes. So it would actually hit, have a time fuse go through the wall of a fort and then explode. Whoa. So if you hit the magazine of a fort with a 2,000-pound shell, I mean, it's, it's done. Mm. <laughs> it's over. Um Jeez. And even the, the the sheer size of those guns too. The four the four twenty millimeter was um, three hundred thousand pounds. It was huge. They had to lay concrete, wait for it to dry, assemble the gun, and then to fire it. The guys who fired it would go about I don't think it's two or three football fields back from it, <laughs> and no. have ear protection and lay prone. And fired electronically. And even then, if they didn't have their mouth open, their eardrums would blow. <gasps> like, it's madness. It's, that's yeah, crazy. It is. Because that's not the biggest. I mean, the Paris gun guns, I think there were two or three total, are the biggest ones that Germany ever made. And at the time they were fired, 1918, it was right at the end of the war, um, there were explosions heard in Paris. And they assumed it was an ammunition factory blowing up because they do that. (laughs) I mean, just in general. Uh, And it took a while for people to realize that they were being shelled from the line. The Western Front was 75 miles away. The Paris gun could fire a projectile 75 miles into Paris. So these, all these um, different weapons that you just explained, these were Mm -hmm. World War I weapons? Yeah. In the early 1900s. This would be, yeah, 1914 to 18. That's How do they even make all these bullets? It just seems... Well, yeah, the sheer amount of, of shells and bullets yeah. used is unheard of. I mean, um, yeah, just the spring offensive, I think, in, in that one... Was it two days or less than two days? It was 1.1 million shells. That was just Germany. I mean... So think of, like, Verdun... Um, that was 10 months long and it was just shelling constantly for 10 months. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the sheer size of those things is, is unreal. And it's interesting to say too, you know, that Paris gun, when it was fired, that is the first man-made object to breach the stratosphere because the arc of it went up so high Hmm. and Germany is really good at artillery and really good at aiming and they have great engineers, but it, it shot so far away they missed Paris the first time. Oh. Because the shell was in the air so long the earth moved. <laughs> the earth was rotating Stop as it. the shell was up and they missed Paris. And Paris is not small. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so it, it's just unreal to think of. But considering all of that, um and just how, how brutal some of those battles were, that's why the numbers are so high. I mean I I found the the list here, and I'm not going to run through all of them because it's literally dozens and dozens of countries. But <clears throat> just to get an idea, this is total military deaths. Russia, 1.7 million. Germany, 2,037,000. Austria-Hungary, 1.2 million. France, 1.4 million. Italy, 700,000. United Kingdom, 900,000. Serbia, 450,000. Uh, Romania, 300,000. Bulgaria, 90,000. United States, uh, estimated 110,000. Hmm. Probably closer to 50 to 60, I think. Oh, really? But it's like, and then there's a, I mean, you can see, Andy. Yeah. There's Those a whole other list. Insane numbers. Wow. Of, you know, probably 10 other countries that are between 10 and 30,000, 10 and 70,000, something so like that. So what's mind-blowing to me, though, is you're saying all this and then just all of a sudden everything stops on mm-hmm. the 11th at the so, 11th that like 
who decides? Also, what I think you have to take into consideration with that thought in mind is how that message gets passed. Yes. That's because what I'm thinking. Like today, you how know, does we, that work? We'd be calling, hey. What we live in today, all the, all the, the way all the different messages go, the electronics, you know, all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. They weren't dealing with that then. No, you have, I mean, telegraph and message runners and you know pigeons. But who carrier starts pigeons. it? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, it came from um, like the the peace talks, the Paris okay. Peace Conference uh, had been going for quite some time before they came to an agreement. Okay. Um, but they only came to an agreement basically when so many countries were against the wall. Like the Ottoman Empire was a, almost devastated. Germany was against the wall. Uh, Austria-Hungary was all but done. Bulgaria was all but done. Mm-hmm. Romania. Like it was it, – it had to happen at some point and enough loss finally happened where they just said, like, okay, here's – we're going to call a truce and then finish the peace conference. So this can stop. Because at that point, I mean, everybody was willing to talk because it was like, yeah, we are devastated. Like enough's enough. Yeah. Like you, they just didn't have a choice at that point. Yeah. Um, and so you can see, I mean, you can see why when that finally stopped that, you know, the celebrations begin of like, mm-hmm. OK, this is over. This It's not it's not official until the signing of the Treaty of Versailles in 1919. But, you know. Just that time period of like, okay, we're going to stop fighting and essentially there's peace. And then the Treaty of Versailles um, and there's actual peace, but we'll say ceasefire is more accurate. Um, you know, famously, Ferdinand Foch, who is the supreme allied commander, um, French commander, uh, famously said that I, I, feel, I feel this isn't an armistice or no, this isn't peace. This is a 20-year ceasefire. That's what he said. Oh. Because the Treaty of Versailles was brutal to some countries in as far as like forcing them to accept guilt, Germany being chief among them. Uh, Article 231 of the Treaty of Versailles is called the War Guilt Clause. And it's specifically, I mean, it's only like a paragraph long, like four or five sentences, but essentially just says like, well, we all here and Germany agree that essentially it's your fault. <laughs> And so that that was one clause Ouch. in this giant treaty. Yeah. <clears throat> but the treaty also, you know, there were reparations that had to be paid. I think it was $5 billion in gold that Germany had to pay to allied yeah. countries, uh, Germany and other countries, not just Germany. But um, they had to demobilize military. They couldn't have a military over 100,000 at any point. Um, they can't can't build new ships they'd have a static navy um it's I mean, it's just a lot and it it builds so, and builds so and builds and yeah and then you get like the um you know all the the civil strife in germany between yeah each war um and i mean one of the people who was most vocal about it was an austrian private who served in the war and he wrote some it was quote after the after the armistice and essentially was just blaming um blaming people at home he was blaming all the uh you know the liberal people at home the non-warmongering whatever people in germany and blaming them for the fact that germany lost and it's it's not a true argument it's just how he felt right uh it's called the stab in the back theory he said like you know the the home front stabbed germany in the back they weren't you know doing what they should do and was this a little short man with a little mustache? Yeah, that like, would, that would be yeah. Private Adolf Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh, so so he uh basically the Treaty of Versailles it lays down some things that eventually lead to a whole domino effect of you yeah. know this happens this happens you know the Weimar right. Republic and the uh you know the burning of the Reichstag and the rise of, of I, the blood, the brown shirts, and the, you know we get World War II. Like, yeah. and, and it's foundation. twenty years after. Yeah. I get a quick sidebar on that. Like, maybe this will like kind of bring it in for a couple people, or maybe this is completely stupid. Do you uh, have you watched all of the Indiana Jones uh, movies? <laughs> I've seen the four of them. Have you seen the most recent one? No, I was, I was throwing out Crystal Skull. That's not no, no. After, after, yeah, after <laughs> I that, I haven't seen so, Dial of Destiny. No, that one, yeah. Uh-uh. 
Um, so I've watched it like I just watch these random movies all the time. I've watched that one a few different times. Um, and I know it didn't get awesome reviews and whatever, uh-huh. but people who have watched this. So the guy, the main character in the in the movie, who's the who's the bad guy? Mm-hmm. At one point, he's in this um, he's in this motel room, and this uh, black gentleman comes in who is serving him, and he is a veteran. He's a U.S. veteran, and they're in they're in the U.S. and uh, and he and and so the German guy asks him, you know, what do you where did you do? Where'd you come from? You know, whatever. And he says, oh, I served. You know, I did this and whatever. And he says something to him like, "You feel good about that?" And uh, and the guy's like, "Well, yeah, you know, this is what we did and all this stuff." And the guy says something along the lines of like, "You didn't win that war; Germany lost it." And this That's, guy is yeah. like, like uh, Hitler's like right hand man. Oh, I do know which movie. part you're talking about. Yeah. And I always kind of wondered a little bit about that and like what was what was happening with that that comment. That's that's the general. That's accurate. The, yeah, the general sentiment. Yeah. Um, and it was. Again, it's not true in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to, you know, quote Hitler and be like, I agree with that. No, not at all in right, any way, right. shape, or form. He was wrong. Uh, was the Treaty of Versailles harsh to Germany? Yeah, absolutely. Did the German people, you know, lose the war for Germany? No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Now they were fighting with valor too. Yeah, and it, and there were a lot of things that led to it. I mean. You have you know financial and civil collapse. You have the uh, there's food shortages because the German Navy for essentially the entire war, minus like two battles, was blockaded. Um, they had a lot of huge ships, but they couldn't leave port because if they did, the English Navy was going to blow them out of the water because <laughs> yeah. the English yeah. Navy is you know the best in the world and has been for a very very Always long was. time. Yeah. Uh, the, the British Army. Not so much at the time. It was tiny. But it, the old saying is like the British Navy is the gun that fires the British Army. Like the Navy shows up, blows everything to hell. And then they, it's like, here's a few guys in the <laughs> Army. So you go on land and do your thing. And we're going back here. But uh, so that blockade, I mean, that means there's no food imports coming in. There's, I mean, there's nothing. And so it was only a matter of time that... That was going to happen. So I got to feel like that that specific date down to the minute you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think a big reason why it worked because everyone was ready. They were ready to pack how long it up was this war and, and call peace? Like let's shut it down, uh, guys. Mm-hmm. Just over four years. Okay, four years, yeah. two months. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. Do you think there's any validity to that? Like everyone was ready to say, like, all right, let's figure. I this agree out. with you. Yeah. yeah. Is that I why mean, it worked so fast? I mean, yeah, because you already have like country's dropping out before that even happens. I mean, we're talking about November 11th, 1918 is the ceasefire. Russia's gone by then. It's 1917 is the Bolshevik Revolution. So the czar has been overthrown. Russia's going through a communist revolution. Um, Man. It's, everything's falling apart. Um, so, yeah, everyone's just ready to, <laughs> to give in at that point. Um, because so many of them have been through so much. France in particular got hit really hard. Russia has the the highest casualty rate, but France as far as the the battles they were in you you could see why in in 1917 18 they came to the US military and they said, "Can you supply any soldiers?" Mm. And that's what you know, my research with the Hellfighters, yeah. uh, the 369th uh, New York Infantry that's it was an all black regiment from New York from Harlem. The U.S. military gave them to the French Fourth Army, and it took months and months of asking before that actually happened. And you could see why France was just begging and they begging of people. like we need somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and did we? Had... Am, am I wrong, or did we owe them a little bit from previous conflicts? Not really. No. Okay. No, because up. I mean, up until World War One. Statue um, of Liberty was a gift. That was a gift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, up, what up. about what about the Civil War? Were they were they played in to what we had going on? I mean, they did a little bit. I mean, obviously, they contributed to um, the Revolutionary War. I mean, without without yep. Some, yep. you know yep. um, Lafayette and connections to France where mm-hmm. we wouldn't have won the Revolutionary War, yeah. I don't believe. I don't think that's a <laughs> a limb to go out on. That just is the yeah. case. But yeah. um, America for since then, since the War of 1812 maybe, was isolationist. 
we didn't get involved in mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the the most we got involved the Spanish American War in Panama and Cuba, um, to be eighteen ninety eight ninety nine. So when this whole like conflagration, <laughs> whatever this the, this thing is happening in Europe. Um, most Americans were not interested in America going to war. Mm -hmm. And it, it took a lot of convincing from Woodrow Wilson and uh, many, many, many other people to say, like, this is what we need to, to finally yeah. do. <clears throat> and the thing that finally forced us in, or one of the things, was called the Zimmerman Telegram. Um, there's a really cool display on it down in Kansas City, the World War One Museum. Mm. But uh, essentially that was a telegram sent from... Uh, I think it was the German ambassador to Mexico. It was from Germany to Mexico, essentially saying like, hey, if you get involved and attack America from the south and keep them occupied while we do this, uh, we'll give you America when we're done. <laughs> like oh, like you, can, you can take back, hmm. you know, Texas and Arizona, New Mexico, things that were ceded in previous treaties. After California too. And, <laughs> some Southern California. And the, and that, but that telegram... Uh, huh. was intercepted. Oh, and okay. By when who? We, like... When we found that, well, by the U.S. government, and we found that telegram and went, huh, uh, gotcha. okay. And then you have, like, I mean, other things obviously have the sinking of the Lusitania really pushed things forward. Um, you know, German U-boats sank, I don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands of mm -hmm. ships. Uh, and it was universal warfare. So if they could even suggest that a, a ship, even a passenger liner, had cargo on it that was military cargo, yeah. they'd blow Done. it out of the water. Yeah. And there were, I think, over a thousand that lost their lives in Lusitania. And it was, there. most were Americans. And so there was a lot that pushed us into it. Yeah. But uh, for many, many years, I mean, we were isolationist and we stayed out of everything. Well, yeah, there, was, there was even that <laughs> feeling going into World War II, like we just didn't want to get involved. And then Finally, uh, the president's like, look, we can't keep our head in the sand. We got to do something. Well, and that's the the thing, too. I think we were talking about in, in school, like, what do they teach? Do they teach about yes. you know, the different holidays? It's like, from high school, I don't remember World War One. I. I remember World War Two, mm -hmm. and I remember covering that because it's easier to cover. World War Two is easy because it's up, down, left, right, good, bad, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, good and evil. It's very clear, black and white, delineated lines. Mm. Like this, is, we were attacked yeah. by Japan, so we went over there. Mm -hmm. That's the end of mm -hmm. it. Yes. Um, and you know, there's very clear, like good guys, bad guys, whatever. The origins of World War One are a gray, hazy fog. A little fuzzy. It's a, yeah, an <laughs> enigma wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in whatever. Um, and it took a lot of things for that to finally fall apart. Um, there were diplomatic relations between almost every country in Europe, like little deals between, okay, if you get attacked, I'll protect you. Mm -hmm. And okay, if we get attacked, we'll protect them and whatever. But they were, uh, I've heard them referred to as handshake deals. Like they, they weren't hmm. solid written out, you know, things. I mean, they were written out and agreed to, but there was nothing backing them up. And... So when one of those things starts to topple, then the others go and the others go and the others go. And so you have um, after Archduke Franz Ferdinand's killed uh, the June 28, 1914 uh, in Sarajevo, that's when things start to fall apart. And in like two weeks after that, um, a month after that, whatever, uh, there were – you know, 15, 20 different countries that all declared war on each other. Wow. And it becomes this huge, yeah. like, you know, that meme of like uh, Charlie from All of a Sunny where he's got the strings everywhere and he's like, he's like yeah. all frazzled. He's like, right. this connects to this, to this. That's what it is. Mm, right. It's exactly that. Just and, a crazy <clears throat> cascading effect. Yeah. Maybe been, didn't even make sense, but that's just how things were set up. And then so the dominoes fell. Yeah. And the, and the quote that, that I'm thinking of, and for some reason I can't remember who it's attributed to, but. Uh, referred to it as like oh, those agreements, you would generate more paper today buying a house than was behind some of those agreements. <laughs> wow. It's you know, one, two, three pages. Yeah. Fathomable. And that's what's holding the continent of Europe together <laughs> is things like that. 
uh, because Germany had one of the greatest diplomats that's ever lived. It was Otto von Bismarck. But toward the end of the 19th century into 1900, he's no longer there. So the guy keeping everything together he's gone. is gone. And oh. he's replaced by someone who, if they hadn't been born into it, mm. would not deserve the job. Yeah. It is Kaiser Wilhelm II, who just, yeah. There's no meritocracy would not have him in that position. He was so. the generation that didn't plant the tree. He wasn't the generation that enjoyed the shade under the tree. He was the generation that cut, <laughs> cut the, tree the tree down. down. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Or or by inaction, let it fall over. No. I mean, that, <laughs> that's essentially okay. what it what it was. Um, yeah, and it, it's just uh, it's been referred to. I think as a galloping Gertie, uh, which was a it's a reference to a bridge that. You know, you've ever seen the video of the, the bridge mm-hmm. that starts swaying and then it falls over and collapses uh, or dominoes starting to fall or like trying to put the pin back in a grenade once it's been pulled. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to happen. Um, and so it just everything fell apart in about a month. And then you have four years of, like I said, un- unimaginable warfare, like on a scale that we – Modern people cannot imagine what that I, is like to live through. Yeah, just, yeah that's yeah, it doesn't. I just doesn't. And, the, and yeah. when you when you compare it to like some of the things that we talk about today with mm-hmm. mo- like modern wars and battles that yes. we're dealing with, and people are just like freaking out about stuff, yeah. you mm-hmm. can't even wrap your head oh. around yeah. what the amount of people, people you're talking about. Well, because we too? don't have to do any more of what they did then with the artillery barrages mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. you know the trench to trench warfare. Uh, which is literally, you know, you're in a trench, enemies in a trench, you know, on the other side of no man's land, which is all barbed wire and mines. You fire artillery at them. They duck down. Bef- you know, when the artillery ends, they get up out of the trench and run and at you. And you do it. It's just And then you just and do forth. that over and over. But you're not gaining any land. Yeah. It doesn't move. I mean, Verdun was 10 months long, that battle. They didn't move. They didn't go anywhere. Just back and forth until someone runs out of people. Until yeah. someone runs out of people or someone gives in. Yeah, right? essentially. Like, that's literally what and, well, it is. And Verdun is its own thing because that's, uh, you know, you did say you served. Did you no. serve? Okay. No, I didn't so, serve. My, my father did. Father, my uncle okay. did. You know. I don't remember which was. But, like, you understood if you look into military history that most missions in war, they have an objective. Mm-hmm. The objective is take this fort, take this hill, capture so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Like. There is a clear objective. The use of ordnance, like you know, rifle bullets, artillery, whatever, is to achieve that objective. Verdun, it was its own thing, and the objective was the use of ordnance. Uh, general von Falkenhayn, German general, his quote was, the, the objective of Verdun was to bleed the French army white. That was the uh-huh. entire point of it. Wow. So instead of the barrage of artillery that then stops... And then you get out of the trench and you run, and then there'd be another barrage later, whatever. There'd be a gap in time. What Verdun was was a barrage of artillery. Everyone gets out of the trench, another barrage of artillery lands. Mm-hmm. And then another, and then another, and then another. To an, kill them. Yeah. Just let that was the entire point of uh, it. Shrink their forces. And it's something unheard of before that and since. But we don't have to do, we don't have to use those barrages anymore because like modern day, you know, we have missiles we can fire from 10 miles away and mm-hmm. put it in somebody's back pocket. Yeah. Like that, that's, yeah. we can do that now. And not only that, the, again, like we talked about earlier, the rate of communication, mm-hmm. like everybody knows about it <coughs> right after it happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not a week later or whatever mm-hmm. that, hey, this just went down and we lost a bunch of men or whatever the case may be. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. still mind blowing to me. But a lot, so all this stuff that we've talked about in, in, um, and this is great because it's, you know, the time goes on and we don't even realize how long this has been. <laughs> you brought with you this book. And does that um, book reference what we're talking about a little bit? I want to get into that because it looks really important. Yeah, it just – I had a specific quote in here and I was trying to remember it. And it's not something I can I can Google. Um, yeah, this book is called From Harlem to the Rhine. Uh, oops. Written by uh, Major Arthur Little who was the – like right-hand man to Colonel William Hayward, who's the commander of the Harlem Hellfighters, and this is essentially his war diary. And the Harlem Hellfighters, can you give us a quick explanation on that? Yeah, the Harlem Hellfighters um, was a, it was the first all-black regiment in the history of the New York National Guard. Uh, It was 1916. Governor Charles Whitman 
um, issued a command that, you know, for the formation of a, of a black regiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and New York had been fighting for a black regiment for many, many years before that. And there's, that's a whole long thing, but 1916 it's formed. He chooses, um, the, I think he was assistant attorney general or assistant district attorney at the time, Colonel Hayward, because he was a national guard colonel, uh, and a good choice. And so <clears throat> over the intervening two years, um, Hayward went and found other, uh, officers formed the regiment, um, trained the regiment. There's you know, a lot of <laughs> time in there too. Um, and they were the 15th New York when they left they were deployed to, uh, Brest in France and were working unloading cargo ships until, um, the French finally convinced general John J. Pershing, blackjack Pershing to give them soldiers. And he gave them the 369th, uh, which actually at the time was sort of a slap in the face because they were the 15th New York. They, they weren't the 369th use the name. Well, 300, 300 designation units at the time. If you didn't have a two digit number, you had a three in front of it. It means it's a draftee unit and every member of the 369th were volunteers Mm. and had volunteered years before. Yeah. Uh, were, they were probably the most well-trained allied soldiers, at least from the U S. Um, because the average training for a doughboy, the American soldier going over, was about three weeks. This unit had been training for 18 months before they went overseas. And, and so, I thought you were alluding to that, like this is a group of men that wanted to serve their country, that yeah, wanted to be part of that regiment. They, they volunteered yeah. and said, like, we, you know, we are here, we're going to train, yeah. we're going to, this is what we want to do. And even then, you know, they're sent over there to unload cargo. Right. Because they're black. That's not even. Yeah. There's yeah. Five, there were five or six, I think, other units. Uh, there were other black regiments, the 370th, 371st, 368th, whatever. Um, some of them saw combat. Some of them didn't. Um, and if it, if it wasn't for Hayward and his connection to Pershing uh, and his pushing of like, hey, my guys need to go fight because they're trained to fight. They're not trained to unload bags of flour. Yeah. They would have been unloading bags of flour for the entire war. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they, well, they didn't, obviously. <laughs> they were sent to the French Fourth Army uh, and were extremely successful in what they were doing. Uh, in fact, they were the most decorated Allied unit in the yeah. entire war. That is American, wow. French, British, everybody. Uh, 171 individual commendations. Uh, the unit received a Croix de Guerre with Palm and Star, which is the highest um French honor that can be given to a non-national. Um, and I want to say there are 171 citations. They were all Croix de Guerre, um, which is the war cross is what that is. <clears throat> Hayward received one, <clears throat> excuse me, and most of his officer did. And then most of the unit received uh, Croix de Guerre with Palm uh, citation. But yeah, 191 consecutive days in the trenches. That was the most of any other Unit. So, so right there just smashes the why for me. This is why we have to mm-hmm. take a moment mm-hmm. and celebrate or remember Veterans Day. What a what a just a fantastic piece of American history. Right. And they were also um you know, they they weren't trained with French materials and French rifles and whatever, but they achieved all those things with French rifles because when they went to the French, they didn't get American rifles. They got French Lebel rifles, French helmets, French canteens, French, you know, Bolo knives, which is an entrenchment tool, like a digging, like weird shovel thing. Um, <clears throat> so they were they were hamstrung in a lot of different ways. And one of the guys who won a bunch of awards was Henry Johnson. There's a lot of people that probably know from that if they've done any research into the Hellfighters of Private Henry Johnson. Henry Johnson won the Congressional Medal of Honor. Um, let's say the Bronze Star, Silver Star, Quadigare with Palmen Star, the Purple Heart. Uh, it's just a huge list. And he fought off an entire German squad platoon with a bolo knife and grenades like that. was, And then they they had captured Needham Roberts, who was another another private. And he chased them down and drug Needham Roberts back I mean, to the trenches. Like it's a whole when you say soldier. Story. Hello. Yeah. People and, use that term now and, like, oh, what a soldier. And, no, and like, as 
That is. Yeah, and especially considering that Henry Johnson was all of like five foot three and like 110 pounds soaking wet. He was tiny. Um, And it's just, it's super impressive. And the the accolades for them go on forever. And they also suffered the most casualties, 1,400 casualties. It was like 51% casualty rate. It was huge. Nobody Mm -hmm. got even close to that. Um, Was it never lost a foot of ground to the enemy, never lost a man to capture. Uh, and never retreated at any point in 191 days on the Western Front. Jeez. They were the first Allied unit to the Rhine. They reached the Rhine River in Germany, which was the the end border that everyone was trying to reach to get into Germany and invade. <clears throat> and I think it was it was on Armistice Day they planted the flag on the Rhine River. Mm. Um, and I can't remember the exact <laughs> the exact quote, but uh, it was one member of. The unit, oh, Noble Sissel, who was a uh, a member of the unit, said that um, when the Stars and Stripes were planted on the Rhine River, they were planted by trusty black hands. And they were saying, like, hey, yeah. we made it. Yeah. Like, we yeah. did it. <clears throat> um, and so it's just, it's a super, super impressive story. And I don't, I don't think it's been told as well or in full Not yet. at all. Yeah. I never yeah. heard about these Harlem uh, guys. Never. You know? Yeah, and so there's a lot of things out there about it. I mean, there's entire books. I have two of them with me. I have an entire bookshelf of them at home. But uh, even those, they they cover a lot of other aspects of it. They don't cover, I don't know, I guess stuff that I'm interested in as well. A lot of them do a lot of background things. They'll spend like 10 chapters just going over the history of politics in New York City, which can be its own book by itself, but it doesn't really <laughs> fit into right. mm-hmm. the military history side of it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the, this book itself is a history of the 369th or the 15th New York, whatever they want to be called, uh, the Harlem Hellfighters, <clears throat> from formation to 1919 when they're uh, back in New Jersey. They okay. went back in New York. Um, and the quote that I found is at the very end, in the chapter called Armistice. Okay. There <laughs> we go. go. Nice. All right. It was Colonel Hayward's quote um, and his famous sentence that was written down by multiple uh, soldiers in the unit, including Arthur Little, uh, on Armistice Day. He said, the day Christ was born was the greatest day in the history of the world. Today is the second. That was the general feeling wow. between a lot of people. Um, and the celebrations were were huge. When they actually returned to New York, um, that was the largest parade to that date in the history of New York City. They were the first unit to march under the Victory Arch on Fifth Avenue. That was a sort of looks like the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Yeah. <clears throat> and there were like an estimated four to five million people at that parade. And it was just for them. Like it was it well, was a big that's deal. Awesome. So, and and so there was a, obviously a bunch of them that didn't come back. I mean, you said they, they lost upwards of 50% of their... Well, and that was... Um, God, I actually should have that number of how many, how many died. 1,400 casualties, mm-hmm. which in military terms is killed or wounded. Okay. So that's not um, combat deaths. Sure. That yep. includes wounded yep. as well. Yep. Um, I don't think they lost as many as you might think. Okay. Uh, but a fair amount yeah it was yeah. it was yeah. not none and i was thinking in terms yeah. of casualties like you said there so mm-hmm. i didn't understand that until you just until you explained yeah that. That, that's why the the numbers i was reading off for the uh the countries earlier was specifically combat deaths because yep. the casualty numbers okay. are two to three times the numbers that i was listing they're up in the four or five million See, you know, when for you, russia when so. you think about it like that's that's basically a hundred hundred years ago right i mean it's not like if we yeah. look at the it's 100 105 yeah, yeah. 104 and it's so crazy like that's that really isn't that long ago. No, and we don't know that. We haven't heard right. that. Yeah, <laughs> but why you are kids ab- not learning about this? Well, and you want to talk about being united? Like that makes me feel more united to New mm-hmm. York people right. from New York, mm-hmm. people that I don't know yep. than anything. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel these are very important stories, and mm-hmm. I, I've always been fascinated with uh, our history, America's history, and how we got here. Right. It's not always pretty. World War One was terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there was a bloodbath, but stories like this were their, their name alone, Hell Fighters, not the Hell's Angels yeah. or yeah. some fun yeah. little hell thing. No, Hell Fighters. Yeah, they were, and the, they really were. They were the Hell Fighters. Um, can't remember the word in, in German, 
that meant hell fighters, they were called. They were called the Men of Bronze by mm. the French. Yeah. Uh, they had a bunch of different names. Their nickname they prefer is the Rattlers because their insignia is a silver shield with a coiled rattlesnake on it. Uh, it's a reference to the Gadsden flag, the don't tread on me, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such a cool story of like, you know, you say, you know, it's unity and, right. you know, redemption and celebration and... Give a guy a chance, an opportunity. We'll yeah. show you what we, what we can do. Well, and it, exactly, because that, even them having that parade and just for them mm-hmm. <laughs> was something that Hayward uh, promised them when they deployed. Because when they deployed in, I think, 1917, yeah, they asked to be a part of the parade for the 42nd Rainbow Division, which was a uh, a unit that was made up of a bunch of different states. Uh, another National Guard unit in New York. And the response that he received from General John O'Ryan, who was a openly bigoted <laughs> major general of the National Guard, uh, the response was black is not a color of the rainbow. Ooh. And they were denied a parade. And Hayward told his men and told Arthur Little specifically, it's quoted in the book, um, is like, fine, when we get back, we're going to have our own parade and it's going to be for us. And it's going to be the best one that New York has oh, ever seen. Oh, if that doesn't and make they like them just like, fight harder, yeah. oh, I'd be like, watch me, bitch. You're you know? goddamn like, right. You're goddamn, God bless America. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's, I think. That's you know? the whole time. That's all they That's all they were fighting for was for them, mm-hmm. not literally like fighting yeah. in combat, but like they wanted a chance. Yeah. Yes. It's like, give us a chance. It's like, you let us train. Right. You let us learn all this. Give us a chance to fight. And even when they got the chance to fight, they were hamstrung at every sure. opportunity. I think the way um, Hayward put it one time is that when they were given to the French, is the U.S. Army just, he said he it took um, took the little black orphan, put it on the front doorstep of the French, and rang the doorbell. Mm. And that's basically Jeez. what they did. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, he, yeah, and he, he made no bones about it. He's like, this is a slap in the face, but at least we're getting a chance to fight. So, yeah. Pretty cool, man. I love it. Pretty cool. Story. Really do. What a great way to talk about uh, Veterans Day, man! Like all that, so all those much details. information. Yeah, stuff that we didn't know, um, and those uh, the stuff yeah. surrounding World War. I, I mean, there's so yeah. much of it. It's fascinating. And it, yeah. and it is breezed over. I remember in middle school, like it was a couple of weeks on World War One, and mm-hmm. then like mm-hmm. five weeks on World War Two. Because you know, I, you could figure out World War Two in five weeks. Yeah. You know, that's all it takes, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, like I said, we're not even going to touch on a tiny amount of what there right, actually is. Right. But, yeah. you know, the important takeaway is just remembering, like, why and where yep. it came from. And, yep. you know, it's the end of the greatest conflict that the world has ever seen because yep. the numbers are still more than World War II. World War II is the one people remember mm-hmm. because it's easier to learn about. World War One was worse, and it was worse by magnitudes worse. And I think it kind of goes back to, like, what was documented and what wasn't and mm-hmm. and what people had access to to be able to document those kinds of things like yeah we don't know like everything was so much more flashy in world war ii i feel like yeah and it, it was also you know we have photo we have well we have photos from world war one we have video we yeah. have you yeah, know right. news uh broadcasts we have you know everything yeah. um and with, you know with world war one it's it's radio it's sure. occasional photos yeah. i mean there's even these guys, one of the most famous units in the war, um, there's maybe a couple hundred photos. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Like 150 at the most. Um, there's just, there's not a lot. Because uh, honestly, if you were out in the Western Front in the trenches, you probably don't want to be carrying a camera. Sure. You probably want yeah. something that can, <laughs> can make a loud noise and yeah. fire a bullet. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a very cool story, and it... it makes us think back of like, well, why do we celebrate on the right. day? Yeah, and that's, absolutely. we remember because there were a lot of people that did not come back right. from that war. Their memories now, so we remember, and that's why. And it's mm-hmm. November 18th, or November 11th, 1918. So, yeah, Saturday, 11 a.m., that's, you know, You're right. celebration. I, I, and I'm going to be thinking of the Rattlers, you know? I'm going to have a moment yeah. and think about that, all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what For it's all sure. about. For sure. Isn't there a beer that's called Rattler? 
uh, R A D L E R. Yeah, Rattler. Okay. Yeah, completely which different. Is, which is a, a German. It's a German beer. Oh well, know? I'm just I'm thinking just, you could drink one at the same time as you I were know, thinking one. I know where you're coming from. <laughs> Nebraska <laughs> Brewing Company has the Lemon Rattler, okay. and it's like their daytime light. Beer. Right, Rattlers sorry. are pretty sure. good. I'll give that to you. Sure. Yeah. Have this a Rattler. Rattler. This is with uh, T. Oh, with the T. Yeah. Yeah. That's with a D. <laughs> okay, I got. Okay, we'll just wind it all up with that. Don't tread on me. Drink me. Yeah. I guess that's what we got. So, <laughs> Dean, thanks for coming, man. It was fun. It was. Yes. I think it's going to be very yeah. educational for folks. Super thanks educational for, coming for back. me. Thanks for yeah. having me. This is a great way to to get into yeah. the uh, the the weekend. He's yeah. like our history guru. Yep. You got to think of a name for for Dean. What yep. do people call you in Nebraska City? Any number of horrible names. No, but, uh, no I'm just get out of here. <laughs> the wizard of history or what? Yeah, usually that that museum guy. Usually, okay, I don't know. yeah, <laughs> something I like, so. I like that. that. So, yeah, that museum yeah. guy. That, that one museum yeah. guy that does, that, the, that does the history stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's have that museum guy back sometime. We got to do it. Sounds good. Thanks, All right, man. what else? You guys got anything else? No. All right. We'll All right. Shut down. Peace. Happy Veterans Day. Yep, for sure. We'll see you.